The scripture reading is from Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 to 35. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no, in which no iron tool had been used, on it, they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of the Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's uh, pray again together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word, and we ask that you'd speak to us, meet with us today as we look to it. Amen. So this passage has a lot to say about the importance of Scripture. That's the kind of the focus of this passage is on the written word of God. You'll notice that in verse 31, they are obeying God's word. In verse 32, they are copying God's word onto stones. In verse 34, Joshua is reading the word of God to the people. So that the kind of the theme of this passage is scripture. In fact, the words book, law, written, and read appear a total of 10 times in just six verses. So um, this passage is talking to us about the essential nature of the written revelation of God's truth. In other words, this passage is telling you that your Bible is important, all right? And so with that in mind, I just would like to um, point out three things that I think we learn from this passage. We learn first that the Bible is important. We learn second why the Bible is important. And then thirdly, we, we learn how to let Scripture, how to let God's Word change our lives, all right? So first, Scripture is important. And you, you see that here. We're studying, we're studying the book of Joshua. We're at the point where the Israelites have entered the land of Canaan. They had a major battle at a place called Jericho. Then they had another battle at a place called Ai. And then in today's passage, they move on to this place called Mount Ebal. And if you look on a map, you can easily Google this. You will see that Mount Ebal is basically right in the center of Palestine, right? Right in the center of, of Canaan. So that's where they are. That's the context. In this passage, the Israelites are in the center of, of what? They are in the center of occupied territory. 
They are surrounded by enemies on every side. In fact, the verses that immediately follow this, this passage, starting at, at chapter 9, verse 1, say this. It says, now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. So that's the context. That's where they are. They're in the center of this strange land, and they are surrounded by enemies. Now, what do you do in a situation like that? What do you do? Do you, do you run? Do you hide? Do you train your soldiers? Do you sharpen your, your swords? What do you do? Well, you know what they did? They stopped to have a Bible study, right? They, they, they gathered together to read God's word. And that's it, just crazy when you think about it. I mean, who, listen, who does something like that? Well, they did. So apparently, these ancient Hebrew men and women, they, they felt that hearing and learning and following God's written revelation to them was the most important thing they could do. I mean, no matter how serious the crisis, no matter how pressing the need, no, no matter how great the danger that surrounded them, it, it seems that they felt that the most important thing they could do would be gathered together and give heed to God's word. Now, that attitude might surprise us, but when you read scripture, you'll find that um, there were a lot of people in the Bible who had that view of God's word, that it's just so important. For example, Ezra dedicated his entire life to the study and practice of God's word. David, in Psalm 19, he, he said scriptures are, he said, sweeter than honey and more precious than pure gold. Paul, in 2 Timothy 3, said the holy scriptures are able to make you wise to salvation. Isaiah said, the word of the Lord never returns to God empty. It always accomplishes the purpose for which God sent it. Mary, when she found out she was conceiving the Christ child, she burst into song, spontaneously sang this song we call the Magnificat. Mary was a young woman so immersed in Scripture that she just automatically, as she sang, she either quoted from or alluded to the Old Testament at least 15 different times. The, the Apostle Peter, he compared God's word to a mother's milk that nourishes her infant child and, and strengthens the child and causes it to grow. Jeremiah, he compared God's word to a hammer. He said the word of God is powerful. It's like fire that sets straw ablaze. It's like a hammer that crushes a, a rock into little pieces. And Jesus, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So these are different people, men and women, different times, different places, different walks of life, but what they had in common, they all understood how, listen, how incomparably valuable God's written word is. And I wonder if you've discovered that have you dis just discovered how vital to your personal flourishing, your spiritual growth, your, your life, how vital 
the written word of God is. If you ask Joshua, hey, how important is the word? If he were here, Joshua would say, well, how important is, is scripture? He would say, if you ever, by some strange twist of circumstances, if you ever happen to find yourself in the middle of a strange land, surrounded by armies, and they're all ready to kill you, sit down and read your Bible, right? So it, it's, that's what you see in this passage. It's first, scripture is important. Now, second, why? Why is it so important? Um, if you're like me, you get a lot of emails that you delete without even reading them, all right? So for example, almost every day of the week, I get emails from carfax.com, Old Navy, the Queen's Public Library, and some politician I have never even heard of, and I just, boom, delete, don't even read them, okay? Are you like that? But when I get an email from my father, I read it. And you need to understand, my father, he's in his 80s, his, his emails are not very fancy, they don't have like nice pictures embedded in them, they don't have a, a, you know, a good layout, they're not designed by professional graphic artists, but when, if I get an email from my father, I read it, and you know why? Because he loves me, he's my father, and he loves me. The 66 books of the Old and the New Testaments, they were, they were written by human beings. Let's just be honest about that. They were written by human beings. They were recorded in human languages. They reflect human cultures. They, they follow discernible human literary patterns, all right? The Bible was written by people, but... These people, as they wrote, were guided by the Holy Spirit to such an extent that when Jesus referred to Scripture, John chapter 10, you know what Jesus called Scripture? He called it the Word of God. He said, this is the Word of God. And you know what that means? That means that the Bible is not a set of instructions for you to follow to get your life together. You know that B-I-B-L-E, basics, instructions before leaving earth. That's not what the Bible is. And the Bible is not a compendium of theological facts for you to study so you could pass your doctrine exam and be the smartest person at your, at your small group. No, that's not what the Bible is. Believer in Christ, listen to me. Do you know what the Bible is? These are words from your father who loves you. And he wants to speak to you. And if I could just pause and remind you, believer in Christ, your heavenly father, he really, really loves you. I mean, he loves you so much he gave his son so that you could be his child. He loves you and he wants, to, to, he wants you to know him. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to speak to you, right? And so the Bible is important. Why? Because, listen, this is where we meet God. We meet our Father here. You, you'll, no, you'll notice in, in today's passage, before they read the word of the law, what did they do? They worshipped, right? In other words, they, they, they made an altar, they offered sacrifices, they met with God. Why? Because they did, they did not read the word merely as a way to convey information. They read the word in the context of relationship. They worshiped God and listened to his word. 
And who was this God they were listening to? You, you know, this is the God who had rescued them from their slavery in Egypt. This is the God who had guided them through the wilderness. This is the God who had provided for their needs, protected them from danger. So that they just, this is what they understood. This is the God who loved them. Do you understand? This is the God who loves you. And so they read the word, not just as a way to download information. They read the word in the, this time of worship in, in, a, in the context of relationship with someone, a real person, an infinite, divine, personal God who loved them. And you'll notice here, if you look also, he didn't just love some of them, right? He loved all of them. The word was for all of them. It wasn't just for the priests. It wasn't just for the men. It wasn't just for the grown-ups. It wasn't just for the native-born citizens. What does it say? End of verse 35. Joshua read the book to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and the children and the foreigners who lived among them. They just understood that God loved all of them, and he wanted to speak to each of them. And here's the point I'm trying to get across. Listen to me. He wants to speak to you. Just if you hear nothing, he loves you and wants to speak to you. Whenever pastors, you know, talk about the importance of Scripture, everyone says, oh, here goes another guilt trip. I have to read the Bible. That's not what I'm talking about. Believer in Christ, you have a Father who loves you. He, when, 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 it, when you have a chance to read his word or gather with others to study his word or come to church on Sunday, hear the word being read and expounded, what's going on here? One who loves you beyond what you can ever, ever, ever imagine wants you to know him. He wants to speak to you. He, wa he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to understand his heart and his mind. And so um, you meet him in his word. So that's why it's important. Now, final thing that we learn. How, how do you let Scripture change your life. Let's just be honest here. It doesn't change everyone's life. Jesus, the people that, the, you know, the biggest knuckleheads when Jesus was on earth were the people that knew the Bible the best. You know, the Pharisees, the scribes, they, they met Jesus. They had no impact on them. They, they, they knew the Bible. It didn't change them. How, so how can we, how can the word change us? Well, I, there's a lot you can say on that, but I think the emphasis of this passage is if you want the Bible to change you, you have to receive all of it as God's authoritative word. All of it. You can't, you know, kind of, you know, you've heard of uh, cafeteria Christians, like when you go through the cafeteria, you pick and choose. I want, the, I want the apple pie. I don't want the broccoli. You know, you take what you like. You leave what you don't. You can't treat the Bible that way. You can't, you can't pick and choose the parts you like, right? I like, like, okay, I like the stuff about heaven. I don't like the stuff about hell. I like when it talks about grace. I don't like when it talks about obedience. I, 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 like, I like what it has to say about gender equality, and it has a lot to say about gender equality, but I don't, want, I don't like what it says about gender differences. Or I, I like when it tells me that God forgives me, but don't point to those parts that tell me that I have to forgive others. Right? You can't listen. You can't do that with the Bible, not if you want a real relationship with God. Why? Because relationships... Don't work that way. 
I mean, imagine, imagine what my marriage would be like if I said to Sabeda, to, to my wife, you know, Sabeda, I, I really want to know you. I want to know your heart. I want to know your dreams. I want to know what's going on inside you. So I promise that I will listen attentively to everything you say to me as long as you are telling me things that I already agree with. That if you want to express an opinion that I don't share, or if, if, if you have an idea that makes me uncomfortable, or if you want to point out something about our, 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 our life together that doesn't make you happy, listen, conversation over. I don't want to hear that. What kind of marriage do you think I would have? Horrible. Why? Relationships don't work that way. If you want a growing relationship with God, you really want to know him, listen, let him speak. Let him speak, receive all of Scripture as God's, as God's authoritative word to you. And that seems to be what's emphasized at the end of today's passage. Look, look at starting at verse 34. It says, afterward, you see where I am? Afterward, Joshua read, what's the next word? All. Joshua read all the words of the law, not just the parts he liked. That says, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it's written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read. What did those ancient people seem to understand? That if, if you really want a relationship with the God who's made covenant with you, you can't, you, you, you can't, you know, hit the mute button on certain, certain things that he wants to talk to you about. You gotta, you gotta let him speak all the word you got to if you want a relationship with God you have to let him speak now this is where we hit a problem okay and I'll close with just talking about this problem that can be really scary I'm just going to admit that that can be re really scary to sit down to this book and say all right God let me have it everything in here is your word for me um, and the Bible admits that it's scary. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces. Even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's, God's word sometimes just pierces you. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It, it, it cuts deeply into who we are. It, it confronts our selfishness. It, it attacks our pride. It, it calls us to take risks and make sacrifices. It, it challenges the dominant narrative of, of our culture so that if we follow it, we end up looking like a, a bunch of weirdos, right? It's, it, it's, it's not always gentle with you. It, it can be scary. Right? To just say, I am going to let God speak from his word, and it's all his authority over, over me. So um, that's the dilemma. How do, you, how do you overcome that fear? So you can really have a relationship with God. And you can spit, but, but it's frightening. How do you overcome that fear of what he might say to you? Well, I'll just point out for you. You notice in verse 30, 34, as Joshua read the law, to them, it says he read blessings and curses. And we understand from Deuteronomy that the blessings were for people who obey the law. 
The curses are for people who disobey the law. Guess what kind of people we are? Just be honest here. Romans 3 verse 10 says there is no one righteous, not even one. So we are people who have disobeyed. And you, I could not count the number of times in my life I've fallen short of God's commands and have disobeyed him. We are people who deserve his curse. So how do you overcome the fear of letting God speak to you? Well, do you know how much God loves you? Do you understand what did God do for you through Jesus Christ? In the person of his son, Jesus, when he went to the cross, God himself took the curse you deserve. So now you receive blessing, blessing, blessing from him. So um, here's the way you overcome the fear of what God might say. And you just read the word and you let it speak and you grow in this relationship. Um, you, you, you just kind of say to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute. If he loves me that much, that he will give his son for me, I can trust whatever he says. He's not out to hurt me. So how do, I don't know if I'm making sense. How do, you, how do you let the Bible change your life? Here's what I would say. You read the Bible and you look to the cross. You read the Bible and you look to the cross. You read the Bible and you look to the cross. Here's what I mean. You read the Bible and you run into something like, oh man, I don't know about that. That's hard. I don't know if I can trust this. And then you look to the cross and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the God who loves me. He died for me. I can trust him. Okay, all right, I can trust him. Then you read some more and you say, whoa, 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 whoa. This is calling for a big sacrifice. I don't know about this. I don't know if I can trust this. And then you look to the cross and you say, oh, yeah, I remember you. I know who you are. You're the God who loves me. I can trust you. You died for me. And then you read something more and you say, oh, wow, this is really. You see what I'm saying? You just, as you read, in order so that you don't, for the, you don't hide from anything in here. You just keep looking at the cross. He loves me. He loves me. He took the curse for me. I can receive the word. And here's what happens. Here's what happens as you do this. You get to know God. It's not like you become the smart Bible expert. No, you get to know a relationship with him develops. The, the, the metaphor Jesus used, he said it's like a seed that's planted and takes root and grows up and bears fruit. Your life begins to flourish. It begins to change. So let's allow him to lead us on that path. Amen? And do that for us as a church. Let, let me pray. We thank you for your word. You would not have bothered to speak to us if you didn't love us. Help us to trust your amazing love revealed in Jesus Christ so that we run to your word and we get to know you. We pray this, Father, in his name. Amen.